I wanted to mention to you as well, last week, I don't know how many of you uh, were here at the big game. Were you here? Yeah, it was a great event. Uh, just to let you know, um, $6,800 was raised for the Dominican Republic trip, which is just a huge, huge blessing. Um, uh, and what that's about is uh, we've got a team of 17 going to the Dominican Republic uh, this summer, and uh, we had a uh, chili uh, cook-off and a dessert cook-off, and we had games. This, this entire room kind of became just a big, large family room, and we had tables, and we had meal, and it was just, it was just wonderful, uh, and uh, so much work went into uh, setting this up, and, uh, and then the evening itself, and then tearing it down and setting, having the chair set back up here for this week. I mean, it's just, it's just a great, great. And, and the football game was good too, wasn't it? Huh? I mean, from, even from the, uh, from, the, from the opening national anthem by Jennifer Hudson. Did, was that good or what? I mean, that was incredible. Uh, she has got a voice. Um, now, Eric Felton had a problem with this. Who's Eric Felton? Well, he had, well, he is someone who wrote an article about this, so that makes him someone. Um, he wrote an article in Friday's paper, kind of poo-pooing the singing of the national anthem. He, he didn't have a problem with Jennifer Hudson. I mean, the, the, I mean, it was it was an incredible, incredible song. He said it was. I mean, it was it was it was perfectly done. I mean, it was impeccable. It was, his problem with this, it was that uh, it, it was, it was, it, it was lip-synced. Did you know that? Yes. That's her voice. It was her voice, but she had prepared it beforehand, and what you heard was her lip-syncing, her voice that was previously recorded. And Eric just has issues with that. And he's a jazz mu- musician, improv, and all this, you know, canned stuff. He's just, oh, oh, stuck his nose up in the air in his article when he talked about it. Friday's paper. He didn't like it one bit. But her manager makes no apologies whatsoever for that. Noah, he said, I would never put one of my clients in that kind of a situation for a live uh, uh, so, I mean, there's just too many things that can go wrong. And so, didn't make any apologies for that. Uh, too many things can go wrong. Uh, in fact, Itzhak Perlman and Yo-Yo Ma agree, which is why, you know, during that all-star classical quartet during the inauguration, yeah, you know where I'm headed with that. That, too, was kind of a, a, a sort of a lip-sync job. I mean, in fact, Yo-Yo Ma put soap on the hair of his bow to make sure that there was not going to be any sound coming out of that cello. And, in fact, the piano was disassembled. <laughs> oh, Eric really had issues with that. I mean, he, 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 he says about the only thing that, that, that wasn't canned at the inauguration was the Marine Band and the stumblings of the chief justice. Other than that, I mean, it was, you know. Yeah, oh, he had issues. Because, you see, what his point is, if you're interested in his point, his point is that, you know, we're, we're redefining what art is. See, before, art was this risky 
thing and you're walking it on a high wire and, and the wire can sometimes be wobbly and, and it's risk when you express yourself, you know, artistically. There's risk involved. And, and, but now we've kind of de- redefined art to the high wire is now on the pavement and we walk across it to give the impression, the appearance, you see. You give this appearance of what is really not actual. And, and he, he says this. This is a little quote. The, the synthetic perfection of faux live performance may enjoy an appealing gloss, but you can say the same thing about supermarket apples, and we know how good they taste, he says. <laughs> Ooh, he's, he has issues. He says, Velveeta, of course, is flawless in every way, but... But some people actually like the rough-hewn blocks of stinky, crumbling cheese, you know? He's got a point. He's got a point. This appearance. Giving this appearance. You know, giving, giving the appearance. If, if we focus, it can be dangerous when we focus more on the, on the packaging than what's inside. Huh? He's got a point. I'm, and I saw this in, in a very clear way. This week, on, on a little minute and 15 second film clip called Evolution, I want you to see it up here. Isn't that something, huh? Wow. When you see the appearance, the packaging can, you really, you've got to be, got to be careful about that. Because we do live in a fallen, broken world, don't we? And, and you know, evil has a way of taking that to proportions that really can hurt individuals. I'm thinking, I mean, in the finance world, it's called a Ponzi scheme, right? Or uh, in the Internet, the Internet is an ocean of fishing activity, right? And we have to, I mean, when appearances kind of move in front of what's actual when reputation becomes more important than reality it's it can be dangerous you know uh, talked about it in the world of art and music and food and beauty and finance have have i left anything out uh, yeah <laughs> yeah i have what about like christian literature huh uh, you got to see this i mean this is <laughs> Okay, this is, this is, a, <laughs> there's, there's, there's so much wrong with this. I mean, let me just, there really is. I mean, this is, okay, it's a devotionals for teens, all right? It says, anybody can be cool, but awesome takes practice. All right, now, so here we have this uh, guy, this dude, who is, uh, you know, sharing his awesomeness with, you know, with a group of diverse friends, right? Yeah. And so, so, so the source of this river of awesomeness, the source of this river of awesomeness from which then comes down to this delta, all right, of diversity, okay, the source of this river of awesomeness is is this white, male, blonde-headed guy from Switzerland. I mean... What? Really? We can do better than this. Uh, we, we ought to. I, I'm told the author uh, now uh, lives in Mexico. It's probably a good thing. Just leave the country and, you know, really, just 
wasn't the author. I'm sure it was the marketing department, right? Appearances, packaging, packaging. When the appearance becomes more important than what's actual, get ourselves in, you know, to trouble. Art, music, beauty, finance, food, Christian literature. Have I left anything out? Church, yeah. Take your Bibles and let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. And today we're going to look at a church whose reputation, wake up now, pay attention, whose reputation exceeded their reality. A church that got focused a little too much on packaging and the appearance and the packaging and the reputation. And so we're going to, as we look at these verses, we're going we're to learn a little bit about a city whose reputation exceeded their reality. And then, and then how the church in that city was kind of like assimilated into that very cold. We've got to watch. We've got to watch that, that we do not become assimilated into the culture that we're trying to reach. We're going to look at a city whose reputation exceeded the reality, and then the church in that city, and then what Jesus has to say. Uh, that's where we're going. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis, right? Jesus is speaking. These are the words of him who holds the, and look at the footnote here, the sevenfold spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit. That's who Jesus is speaking of. These are the words of him who, who holds the sevenfold spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the seven stars. That represents the churches. Seven churches in western Turkey are the recipients of the book of Revelation. And there's a specific message for each of those churches. And because it's seven, it's symbolic for complete and universal. So the message to them is also the message that we need to hear. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled, that word means defiled, ceremonially defiled, their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3, 1 through 6. To the church in Sardis. Sardis has such a, uh, such a rich Rich history. Our country is so young. Uh, I mean, these were ancient cities with ancient histories. And um, 
when you think about the city of Sardis itself, there's just a few phrases that comes to mind, and, and I'll just walk us through it. There's, uh, just think of the phrase hilltop. Think of the phrase cave tomb. Cave tomb. Think of the phrase incomplete temple. And think of the phrase white robe, okay? Hilltop, cave tomb, incomplete temple, and white robe. Hilltop, Sardis. Here's Sardis, by the way. Right about smack dab in, in, in southwest Turkey. And you can see the route of this uh, of the letters, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and then Sardis. Sardis was the capital of the ancient kingdom called the Lydian kingdom. The Lydian kingdom. And so, this was a growing kingdom in the 6th century, six centuries before Christ. Right about the time when Israel was in Babylonian captivity, uh, uh, the Lydian empire. And in fact, in Acts chapter 16, uh, we hear about Lydia from Thyatira. Uh, that really wasn't her first name, but she was just known as the Lydia Lady. You know, it's kind of like the Oki pastor from Oklahoma. She was from Lydia, okay? Yeah, 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 I'm serious. So the Lydia Lady, that's from, the, that's from what would have been the Lydian kingdom. And Sardis was the capital of the Lydian kingdom. Now, the last king... The last emperor, the last CEO of the Lydian kingdom was a guy by the name of Croesus. Croesus. By the way, this is what Sardis looks like. You see that hilltop? That's Sardis. Let's just keep that picture up there for a minute, Daniel. That, that's, and Croesus was the guy who was in charge of the Lydian uh, empire, and Sardis was the capital. And Croesus, next time you go downtown and you put coins in the parking meter, think of Croesus, because he was the guy who invented the process of minting coins, like gold coins and silver. We've got him to thank for this form of currency. We, we still have it today, thanks to Croesus, which made him phenomenally wealthy. I mean, in fact, the phrase, as rich as Croesus, well, that would be like, well, this guy's got as much money as Bill Gates. I mean, that's wealth, right? And Croesus was the wealthiest, he was an incredibly wealthy guy, and, and he thought he would take his money out for a spin with the military because there was a competing kingdom to the east, the Persian Empire, led by Cyrus, Cyrus of Persia, and so Croesus went for a land grab there uh, in the Persian Empire, but Cyrus fought back, pushed Croesus back. Battle didn't go so well as Croesus thought it was going to go. And it was getting winter time, so Croesus went home because back then they didn't fight during the winter. So Croesus took his troops and said, we'll just wait till the snow thaws, and then we'll commence with the battle. Cyrus followed him home. There at the bottom of that 1,500-foot hill. And Croesus stood there at the top of the hill and says, you're going to freeze all winter, dude. I don't care. Cyrus sent a soldier up the side of that hill. Let's see the next picture, Daniel. This unscalable hill, Cyrus sent one soldier up. And the soldier scaled this side, mountainside, got in, opened up the gates, and the city fell in 14 days. And the Lydian Empire was over. And Persia got new territory and a new city. And that's what it looked like 
And that was about the year 547 B.C. And about eight years later, Cyrus of Persia let the Israelites go back home. Kind of, kind of ties together real nicely. But you see, the point is, is Croesus did not even post guards because he was so sure that he was invincible. The appearance did not match what was actual hilltop. And then the next word that I mentioned was cave tombs. Take a look at this. On your way to Sardis, there are some burial mounds. That's there. And then the next picture is, this is a cave tomb. I mean, like guys actually dug those out of of, 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 of hillsides and stuck kings and other prominent people there. And it was just fascinating. And this sort of thing was all over that area. So when Jesus talks about this church being dead, see, there's an image there, a powerful image that's being uh, communicated there. Uh, those cave, Jesus, you're just cave tomb. That's what you are. I got you all figured out. You're wearing a mask. Your reputation, wake up. Come on, look up here. Wake up, pay attention. Pay attention. The cave tombs, the dead, hilltop cave tombs, and then incomplete temple. Now, when you go up to the top of Sardis, what you see is the temple of Artemis, which was a huge temple, but even in the second century, even in the second century, it, wasn't, it, it was an incomplete project. It was incomplete. It wasn't finished. It just, they used it, but it just wasn't finished. It was incomplete in the eyes of the citizens. You see what's going on here? Jesus says, you're not complete in the sight of my God. They thought immediately, Temple of Artemis. Very localized information here. And then the last phrase is white robes. Don't have a picture of that. But the white robes represented the Roman Empire. When the Roman Empire came in, the citizens would dress in white and they would have a little victory parade through the newly acquired city. The citizens would wear the white robes, probably made of wool because by the second century, Sardis was now known as one of the leading manufacturers of fine wool in that area. And those citizens, whose names were recorded in the registry, the registry, the book, their name, which, which demonstrated their citizenship, you see. They would come in and they would parade. This now belongs to our king, you see. All ties together. All ties together. Hilltop, cave tomb, unfinished temple, white robe. All about this city whose reputation exceeded reality And that's what disturbed Jesus about the church because Jesus is saying you have become just like the city in which you inhabit. That's why he says, I know your deeds. Now, normally when Jesus says, I know your deeds here in these other churches, when he says, I know your deeds, he's about to compliment them. But there's no compliment. The only deed that Jesus knows concerning this church at Sardis is the deed of deception, the deed of projecting an image, projecting a, pa- a package, of projecting a, 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 a reputation that does not match reality. He says, I-, I know your deeds. You have a reputation. Literally, you have a name of being alive, but you are dead. You're a cave tomb. Come on, wake up. 
Look up here. Pay attention. Focus on what's going on here. No doubt this church was busy. It was bustling. There was activity going on. But Jesus could detect something that others were missing. See, there, there's, no, there's no false doctrine that we know of being taught of in Sardis. I mean, there's no Jezebel like we met last week in Thyatira. And, and there's, no, there's no Balaam like we met in Pergamum. And, and there's no persecution like what we see going on in Smyrna. In fact, it's like people would go, why, why would we persecute these Christians in, in, in Sardis? I mean, what's there to persecute them for? They're just like us. And Jesus says, that's your problem. You're just, you've become just like the people in the town that you're dwelling. That's not good. That's not good. And like the, and like the unfinished temple of Artemis, you, you are unfinished. You're, you're not up to standard here. There's more. There's more. You're, you're just focusing on appearances. You're focusing on reputation versus reality. What's up with that? Could, could we be accused of that, any of us here? That we focus on outward religious displays of action? That we focus on external, spiritual-like reality? That, but inside, there's really nothing that's going on there. We're just kind of going through the motions. Could that be, is that a danger that we need to pay attention to? That we're maybe so focused with, with appearances of success or appearances of, you know, of our, our kids making it or, how, you know, or where they're working or what they're doing, that appearances that we just, you know, we... Now, Jesus tells this church to wake up. Wake up. Meaning, they're, they've got a spiritual disorder going on. You know what the spiritual disorder is? Spiritual narcolepsy. That's what it is. Spiritual narcolepsy. Spiritual narcolepsy occurs when... when spiritual narcolepsy occurs when someone or something else becomes more real in my life than Jesus. Yeah. You know, when you go to sleep, you enter this other world, right? And that's a very real world. Very real world to me. I get into my dream world, and what have I done? You know, I, 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 I can feel fear. I can feel so upset that I start to cry. Or I might wake up laughing. <laughs> you know, or, or I, 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 I sit up in bed and I look to my wife and I say to her, this is a list of bad things to do. She said I said that once. <laughs> she did. And, you, she, and then she talked back. Yeah. She said, what's on the list? <laughs> oh, man. I said, I don't know. She said, who gave you the list? I don't know. And then I woke up. I was in the real world. Stop playing with my subconscious, Sarah. You're messing up. But you get this. What happens when we focus on reputation? We we fall into this spiritual not because something else becomes more real than Jesus Christ. Is that could that be true in your life? For example, question: Why do Christians worry? Why do Christian pastors worry? It's because something or someone has become more real than Jesus. That's why. Because if I really believed what 
Jesus says about himself in Revelation chapter 1. He says, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he is the emperor over all the other empires. And I, and I belong to his kingdom. Then really, what is there to worry about? See, so someone or something else has become more real than the ruler of the kings of the earth, you see. Jesus says, wake up. Come on, wake up. You're falling asleep. Wake up. Someone else may say, well, you know, I know God loves me. Here's another one. I know God loves me, but that doesn't help. Really? Really? Are you saying that your sins are more real than Jesus' death for your sins? Is that what you're saying? I mean, don't you believe him when he says that he loves you and has freed you from your sins by his blood? So that you can be a kingdom and priest to serve. Has that not become more real? Come on. Wake up. Sometimes this can affect entire congregations. Entire congregations to the point where, you know, some congregations, churches that, that actually say, you know, it doesn't really matter what we believe. What matters is that we just help other people. Now, by the way, that church would go over well in Sardis. It's the, I mean, it's, they don't care, you know, what our doctrine is really doesn't matter. We're just here to help poor people. We're just here for, for justice. And, and, and well, Really? Really? You really believe that? Huh? Hey, try this out on the way home from church, okay? Uh, in the car, turn to your spouse. One of you turn to your spouse and, 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 and ask this question. What do you really think about me? What do you really think about me? And then have your spouse say, what if your spouse says, it doesn't really matter what I think about you. What matters is that I do what you say. Okay. See, that's not a marriage, is it? Right? That's not. What? What? There's got to be something in the heart here. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Come on, wake up. Stay with me here. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Wake up. Get real. Get into the real world here. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. He talks about... He talks about people that act religious. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Paul says, you stay away from those people. Stay away from those people. Well, you know, when a church says, we don't really know what we believe. It's just our job to help. Ultimately, they are of no help at all. Besides, the poor don't go to churches like that. They don't. They go to churches that know what they believe. Churches that say, here is what God's word says. And here is Jesus the ruler, the absolute and uncontested ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. He's in charge. We're not. Yeah. Wake up. See, see why is it that some Christians are more self-controlled than other Christians? Why is it that some Christians see, you know, just seem to have, are, are, are more skilled at loving? Why? Because Jesus is so real in their hearts and in their lives into the very core of who they are. And when Jesus is more real to you than anyone else, then, then how can we not exercise the harvest of the Spirit in our lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You see? Wake up. Wake up. You, now you, he says, you've got a few people in Sardis who are awake. Huh? 
It's kind of sad when a church needs missionaries. That's the problem here. The minority need to be missionaries to the majority. (laughs) Forget the missionaries to the city. The church needs missionaries. Wake up. Well, how? How? Let me be practical here. Let me be right from the text here. How can we how can how can we undo this disorder of spiritual narcolepsy? I'll just give you two uh, practical steps here. All right, uh, here it is. Number one, if you want to wake up, first of all, presume that you will fall asleep. Presume that you will fall asleep because people do. People are like right now. Wake up. <laughs> You know, presume the, the people who fall asleep are those who don't think that they will ever fall asleep. The, the church that loses the love that they had for Christ in the beginning is the church that doesn't think that it can lose its love for Christ in the beginning, you see? Presume, just presume. The, the, we, we've only got three types of people here this morning. We've got people who, who uh, um, are about to fall asleep, who are falling asleep, and those who have just wakened up. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Presume that you will fall asleep. And then secondly, comply with the Holy Spirit. Comply. Wake up and walk with the Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why verse 1 begins with, these are the words of him who holds the sevenfold Spirit. The sevenfold Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God. That empowers us and keeps us awake. That's why Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 27 says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The Holy Spirit is who keeps us awake. Wake up and walk with the spirit. About four o'clock this afternoon, I'm going to go over to the gym and I'm going to just kind of work out this stress of this morning. I do. Helps me sleep a little better. And I'll go to this spinning class, this bicycling class, and there'll be about 15 or 16 of us in this class. And the instructor, I just think, enjoys watching old men weep. I mean, it's just... So Thursday, at Thursday session, it's like, okay, we're going to be climbing a hill for 25 minutes, all right? Let's go. Get up. And so for the next, really, 45 minutes, that's how long the class is. I mean, we just get barked at, okay? Turn up the tension here. If you're not uncomfortable, fix something. And I mean, so we're, we're cycling and there's music going on and there's other people sweating too. And, you know, and it's just this intensive time and, and, the, and the instructor is going, okay, two minutes, two minutes till recovery time, but that doesn't mean you're gonna stop pedaling. You're gonna keep pedaling. Come on, let's get, what do you want? When the, when the instructor gets really excited, the instructor really starts getting intensive. Like, like, what do you want? Why are you here? Why are you here? here. Come on, let's go. Are we? Come on, let's, let's get it done. Let's finish it up. You're almost there. Almost. Come on. And then when the instructor really gets animated, the instructor goes, let's go. I mean, man, alive. Wow. 
45 minutes later, I am just dead. I'm tired. After class, the instructor says, if anybody wants to stay, I've got a strength class at 1030. I said, yeah. I said, i got to mow my yard. I'm going to be doing that at all. I don't see any strength people in here. When I see strength people in our class, I'll go to theirs, you know. But man alive. I can go into the main room and do the individual Stairmaster on my own and kind of grunt my way through that. But with a community of people, and an instructor walking me through, saying, come on, you can do this. And what I'm trying to tell you is that the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit, is not just someone who enters your life for 50 minutes three times a week. The Holy Spirit, you receive Christ as a 24-7 spiritual trainer. And the Holy Spirit is, are you, if you, are you paying attention? Are you listening? The Holy Spirit's nudging you He's nudging you, saying, come on, wake up. Make that phone call, Randy. Write that letter. Set up that appointment with that person, would you? Apologize to Sarah, Randy. Get away from that tempting relationship. Start this. Stop that. Keep going. I'm with you. Endure. Yeah. That's the Holy Spirit. And when you pay attention to the Holy Spirit's promptings and leadings, oh my goodness. You see, that, that is what demonstrates the white robes of victory. Because You know, in my spinning class, the instructor has never said... If you don't push harder, I'm going to take away your membership. <laughs> That's never come up. See? That's never come up. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is, no, you, you need to push harder because you already belong to the kingdom. See? Because you already are victorious because of what Jesus has done for you. So let, let it be true in reality what Christ has already done for you. Wake up and walk with the Spirit. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful and we thank you so much for your mercy. And your Holy Spirit is prompting some even now who do not know you. And he is saying, wake up. Why don't you give your life to Jesus? Why don't you talk to an elder? Why don't you talk to Randy? Why don't you talk to someone who can tell you the good news of what Jesus, the ruler of the kingdoms, have done to free you and cleanse you by his blood? Oh, may we pay attention to the Spirit, to the glory of Christ, we pray. Church family, just one more thing I want to tell you. Listen, here it is.